0: Um, I will uh, be 100% honest with you guys. I um, had great difficulty preparing this sermon today. Um, my, as I said, uh, I've, I feel that anything I say is going to be horribly inadequate. I've uh, I've told our worship planning team this week. I feel like I got nothing. After much prayer. And tears before God, I will alter that to by one bit. I got nothing but the gospel, and um, today we're it, it's going to be a, a little different. We usually go through one text uh, we're going to be bouncing around the Bible a bit It'll be hard to to follow, so we will have the text on the screen here um, but let's pray before we begin Lord I I feel inadequate. I pray that your spirit would use me in my um, inadequacy. That your word would speak uh, though I fail to do so well. Um, That you would encourage us and comfort us and give us light in the darkness through your word now. In Jesus' name. Amen. this week has been a, a struggle for everybody, and sooner or later, those of us who are, are believers in Jesus, uh, we, we start asking the question of what's going on. Um, you know, God is good, God is in control. Why this suffering? Why these evil days? And, uh, Maybe maybe you're not there yet, but uh, you will you will be eventually. Um, to take nothing away from the special horror of this week, I want to point out that these tragedies are happening or unfolding all the time. That this isn't the only these aren't the only three mass shootings we've had this year. We've had hundreds, and in in fact there there's an average of, of nearly twenty thousand gun murders in the US per year and that's to say nothing of the ongoing wars in Yemen and Ukraine there is tragedy unfolding every moment that we honestly if we took it all in we'd simply crack we're not we our shoulders aren't big enough to to bear that but when we open the pages of history we see the Holocaust we see Rwanda we see the Armenian genocide in Turkey Those of us who were around in the 90s and remember Bosnia, the Tulsa Massacre, the Wilmington Massacre, the pogroms of Eastern Europe against the Jews. There's child abuse. There's the gulags of Stalin and Lubyanka prison. There was the horrors of Tamerlane and the other Mongols. There's been thousands of years of chattel slavery. Death squads in El Salvador and the rest of it. The pages of human history are not scarce on horrific tragedy. And so the the question comes, if God is good and God is in control, why? Now, I want to say two things. Whatever the answer is, it first of all has to make sense. It has to be grounded in reality. It does us no good to comfort ourselves with fairy tales. And second, it has to actually be helpful, okay? And by the way, it is not just those of Christian faith or some sort of faith that have to answer this, but everybody, even people who are avowedly of no faith, must answer this question of why is the world the way it is? Why is it full of suffering and death and man's inhumanity to man? Because there's a lot of bad answers, I just want to wake a couple up and put them to bed right away. Uh, there's one answer that comes up, that, that God is somehow displeased in pouring out his displeasure. You saw this when um, a guy named Pat Robertson, uh, host of the 700 Club, which is apparently a Christian TV show of some kind. Uh, you guys all know it? Okay. Uh, all right. I didn't know you all knew it. Um, so after the Haiti earthquake, if you remember that, he said, the reason this happened to Haiti is because the Haitians during their war revolution made a voodoo pact with voodoo spirit. It's true, actually, but not that God is against them. They did make a voodoo pact. But his answer was, well, God is against them. Therefore, they're suffering. <laughs> yeah, man, no, uh, that, that is not the case. We're going to cover this in some, in some length of the, the, the brokenness of the world is not a signal of God's displeasure against anyone. There's another answer that, uh, that some resort to, that God isn't in control. There was a famous book in its time called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People, written by a rabbi, Rabbi Kushner, and people take up this answer, that, that God's trying his best but isn't actually in control. He'd like to stop evil and suffering but isn't up to the job. Uh, biblically speaking, that's just not, not true, and, uh, and also not very helpful. And then the, the one that, that, that um, often comes up, and, and it seems that the uh, atheist evangelists never miss an opportunity of human suffering to try and uh, score some rhetorical points, is that it's because God isn't real. You've heard this from Bill Maher, you've heard this from Richard Dawkins, from Bertrand Russell, from Dennett and the rest of them, Okay. And, and, and the idea is that, well, well, the real reason that the world is full of suffering is because there is no God, that we are, we are a cosmic accident, that we're here for no reason, and, and, and it's a horror show. Get used to it. Just grow up. Okay? So that, that definitely strikes the hard rationalist pose, and some of that might make some sense to some of us. But here's the thing. It is actually radically irrational, and here's why. Good and evil are moral categories. We all see that? Those are moral categories, yes? Morality is a should or a must. It's saying that this is the way one should behave. There is some sort of imperative for all human beings that they must honor the dignity of another human being. Correct? Making sense? All right. In an accidental universe, there is no should. Where does should come from? Who's to say should? It's a free-for-all. There is no should. Nothing's made for any reason. There is no purpose to anything. There is no way to violate what something was intended for in an accidental universe. So in an accidental universe, morality at best is a social convention made up by people. And so, on an on a accidental universe view, you can't have the moral category of evil. The question doesn't even make sense. You all with me? That makes sense? So, what, what seems at first to be the hard rationalist pose, time to grow up and get hard headed or whatever, uh, is actually ultimately irrational and really doesn't help at all. I don't have easy answers. I don't have complete answers. What I hope is that by the time by the time we're done today we have a candle, right? When you're making your way through the darkness you'd love the dawn to come but a candle will get you through it. That's what I hope to offer today. So how does the gospel, how does the word of God address this question? Well, if we're to address The problem, we first have to understand one thing. And this is built into every page of Scripture. It's this. The world is not as it should be. The world is not as it should be. Whatever answer we come up with, we first have to understand the problem, and that is the world is not as it should be. First of all, when we look at the first chapter of the Scriptures, we see that God's intentions were what's called shalom. Look with me, and I'll explain the word in a second. Look with me at Genesis 1:27 through 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The sixth day. That's the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And what do we see? God blessed human beings. He gifted them all of creation. And human beings were meant to be caretakers. When we see this word have dominion, we think dominate, destroy. That's just because we've seen what dominion shouldn't look like. It's supposed to be God's dominion care for it, care for the plants, care for the earth, care for the animals right? That is plan A. That is position one of creation, that human beings and this world were intended for God's blessing. It was intended for shalom. You may know the the Hebrew word shalom. It gets translated peace. But what it really means is, is harmony between all things. Right relationship between human beings. Right relationship between God and human beings. And right relationship between human beings and all of creation. That was God's intention for the world. And we also see that sin breaks shalom. In Genesis chapter 3, our first parents rebel against God. And God explains to them the consequences. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So this thing that was, the ground that was gifted to Adam that was to be a blessing, what is it now? Instead of him carrying God's blessing, he carries what? Curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So with the breaking of shalom because of sin, relationship between God and human beings is shattered. Relationship between human beings and creation is shattered. And even between human beings and other human beings, we see the entrance of enmity and hate, ultimately ending in death. So when we're, we're looking around saying, why did God make the world this way? The answer is he didn't. This was not God's intention for the world. Think about this. What's wrong with the world? It's us is there anything that we would call a tragedy that isn't caused by human beings why is that why do we have these amazing powers of dominion and yet we use them so often for destroying and especially destroying one another When people say, well, that's just the way the world is. Or, hey, that's the true nature of the universe is suffering and evil. Or people say, well, you know, uh, everything happens for a reason. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not what God designed. Evil and suffering and death are alien intruders to God's creation, not part of it. They don't have a seat at the table. And so grief and anger and confusion are the right reaction." any answer that tries to band-aid over what we're feeling this week about these horrific events. It cannot stem from the idea that the world is as it should be. And guess what? Every other answer begins with the idea that this is the way the world should be, whether it's the, the atheistic answer or whether it's the Eastern religion's answer that this is the true nature of the world. This is not the true nature of the world. When we're asking, why does this evil and suffering happen? One of the really important things is to say why it doesn't. Okay, because if, if, we, don't, if we don't reject certain answers it, it, and there's just kind of a silence, we're going to fill it with our own answers. We're going to fill it with our fears. There's a, a book I've been reading to my kids for many years uh, called "Lama Llama Red Pajama. Anybody? Familiar? Yeah, some of, y- some of you don't know Llama Llama Red Pajama, but it's a llama baby who's getting put to bed by his llama mama. <laughs> and um, she puts him to bed and, and goes downstairs to clean or what have you, and baby llama's getting pretty bored. And so he calls out for his mom, but his mom doesn't answer. And uh, he calls out louder, and she still doesn't answer. And so he starts to sit there in the dark and wonder why isn't she answering? And his fear starts to speak in that silence and darkness. And he comes to the conclusion, maybe Mama Lama is gone. No, she wasn't. He screams out for her. She was just on the phone, so she comes running. But <laughs> And I can't relate to that at all, putting kids down. But here's the thing. When we, when we do not look, when we don't have a solid reason why something happens, we will start filling it with our fears. Fears that God is against our nation, that God is against us, that God was against the victims. That God doesn't care, that God is detached, God has better things to do, or that God isn't real. But here's the thing. Throughout Scripture... We see tragedy, we see suffering, we see brokenness, and we see that God is there through all of it and that God is still in control. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 28. This is Peter preaching the gospel for the first audience. He says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what? Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So put that together. What did Peter just say? He said that Herod, right, that that the people who put Jesus to death were doing what God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. What they did is truly evil. And yet, God was still in control. As Jesus suffered, it's not because God lost control, but God was in control. Whatever happens, whenever these things happen, we say, where was God? And we can start with what the answer isn't. God has not been overpowered, and God has not been surprised. Okay, So we can rule those reasons out. We also see Throughout the scriptures, that in times of tragedy, in times of trouble, God is with his people. That even though people are suffering, that does not mean they're abandoned by God. There's a very famous psalm, Psalm 23, verse 4, it says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I want to spend a little time here because some of you have gotten satanic counsel that when something tragic has happened in your life or in the world, you're told it's because of some sort of lack of faith that you've lost the favor of God. That someone has cancer because they lost the favor of God. You have heard this. Some of you have. And I want to say this. I want to say David, Hagar, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Paul, Peter, Jesus. Was God with them? Very clearly God was with them. We see in each each of those stories throughout the scriptures, God was intimately involved in their story. Second question, did they suffer? Oh, yeah. 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 Hagar laid down to die with her son. King David spent a good portion of his life being pursued by his own son in a civil war. Paul suffered greatly. Peter was executed for the faith. Jesus, Jeremiah, they all suffered greatly and yet God was with them. It does not mean that God is absent because tragedy is occurring. More often, God is most intimately involved and, and as as the as the psalmist says that he is close to the brokenhearted and downtrodden. So what is the answer how does the the gospel resolve this question? Remember I don't I said I don't have easy answers. I don't pretend that this is going to make us all happy. All right? But we're going to focus real quick At the end of the book of Genesis, appropriately, the first book of the entire story of Scripture sets the pattern for the rest of it. That sentence just makes sense. I was worried. Okay, I did okay? Okay, great. So, the book of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph. Uh, You may have heard of him. Uh, They wrote a musical about him. Um, So, Joseph... His story begins with being thrown in a pit by his own brothers and left for dead. So what do you call that? Attempted or an intended fratricide, let's call it? Alright, so suffering? Yes, that's gotta hurt when your own brothers leave you for dead. But then, they rescue him out, not because they had a change of heart, but because they saw they could sell him into slavery and make money off of him. So that, that's like the only thing that could possibly make it worse. That's the worst way, reason to be rescued ever. So they, they sell him into slavery, and then from slavery he goes to prison. All right? So Joseph su- suffers horribly in, in, throughout his life, even though God is with him. And then it, he's elevated to power, becomes the number two guy in Egypt. He averts a huge famine uh, for Egypt, including his own family coming from Canaan to Egypt, and they, they, they're able to get bread there. And then they find out Hey, the guy who we tried to kill and then sold into slavery is now in total power. And so his brothers come before him, fearing Joseph's retribution, that Joseph is just biding his time and he's going to take out his vengeance on his brothers, okay? And this is the whole climactic point of the story of Genesis. When they come before Joseph and say, hey, don't kill us, we're sorry, Joseph has the capstone of the whole book. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. Some translations say you intended evil, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Did you hear that? This wicked act of the brothers did what? God used it for good. So their evil, God was able to use for good. Doesn't make it less evil. It makes God that good. And this is the big picture pattern of the Scriptures. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So this is the big picture sweep of Scripture, isn't it? that this, this, this breaking of shalom right at the beginning, beginning of Genesis. At the end of the book of Genesis, we're told one of the central truths of Scripture, that what human beings intend for evil, God can use for good. And then we see Him do it in the person of Jesus. The evil of the Jewish leaders, of the Roman leaders, of everyone who colluded in Christ's crucifixion, God used that for ultimate good. And... He is going to consummate redemption. He's going to undo the damage of sin and death through Christ's return. The answer to this question, is not that God is against us, or that that's just the way the world is, or that God isn't there, but that though God grieves, though God enters into our suffering, he is also able to use it to accomplish his plan. The reason that you guys have heard the name Hannibal, uh, there was an ancient military commander from North Africa named Hannibal, and, and he won an incredible battle against the Romans called Canae. Any, but any, no, Anyway. Here's how he did it, because he beat Rome up bad at a battle, and Rome got mad. And they sent the largest army that's ever been assembled on planet Earth to that point to go take out Hannibal. And they, sent, they put together 80,000 legionaries, and Hannibal had under 20,000. Okay? That is not a fair fight. But Hannibal, the reason you know his name is because he defeated them. Quite a trick, isn't it? Want to know how he did it? So Hannibal was one of the great military geniuses of all time. He knew what the Romans were gonna do. They were going to ram him. That that was Roman style. They were gonna set up their ranks very, very deep, bash through the middle of his formation, and then take out one side, then the other. This is classic technique. So here's what Hannibal did. I'm gonna draw in the air. I don't know how effective it'll be. He had his best troops on the outside, what are called the flanks, okay? He had his worst troops in the middle, but they set up as a crescent. So you had two flat parts and a crescent, the weakest part in the middle, where he expects the attack to be most ferocious. All right? so here comes the Roman battering ram, 80,000 deep. And what he instructed these troops in the middle to do is to back up. And so they did. As they fought the Romans, they went back, back, back. They gave ground, they gave ground, they gave ground. And as they did, he instructed the wings to move forward. Okay? And so this battering ram coming into the middle, he's like, yeah, that's fine. Just keep backing up. And then those wings went all the way around. This is known as a pincer movement or a double, double envelopment. In military terms, if you are surrounded, you're done. So he surrounded 80,000 with 20,000. How? By using their intentions against him to accomplish his own plan. He knew exactly what they were going to do, and he used it to his own advantage. It's the same idea that God can use someone else's evil intentions to accomplish his own ultimate good. God has something greater than the power to destroy, He has the power of life. God used the evil intentions against Jesus, to bring eternal life, and to undo death itself. God will put a full and final end to evil, and all the tragedies of human history will be answered fully and finally. How? I don't know. I told you I don't have complete answers. I don't know exactly how he's going to use all of the horrific tragedies that I've listed today in his ultimate and final redemption. This is what we mean by faith. Not that we know the path, but we know the guide. We know that God has done it in the past and he has promised to do it again. Does that make us all feel better right now? It does not. The right response right now is to grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn to pray and also work for for necessary and effective change. But all the while, we do not forget the world is not as it should be. God is still in control, and God can use evil for good. As I said, when you're in the darkness and walking through it, you'd love for the dawn to come, but a candle will get you through. What the gospel is for us in these evil times is light light to walk by. Please pray with me. God, we cry out to you this morning. We cannot bear the huge weight of evil and suffering in the world. But we believe that you not only haven't abandoned us, but that you have a plan to bring about its ultimate undoing. And that we will see Tragedy and death undone. May it be so, in Jesus' name.